My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, To you who hear, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other one as well. And from the person who takes your cloak, do not withhold even your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from the one who takes what is yours, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. For if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend money to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But rather, love your enemies and do good to them, and lend expecting nothing back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Stop judging, and you will not be judged. Stop condemning, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and gifts will be given to you, a good measure, packed together, shaken down, and overflowing, will be poured into your lap. For the measure with which you measure will in return be measured out to you. The Gospel of the Lord. About a year ago, Sally Cohn, who is a political commentator on CNN and who describes herself as an openly gay left-wing commentator, did something that was particularly brave and bold. She started reaching out to people who follow her on social media, but not her fans or supporters of hers. Instead, she contacted those who wrote some of the grossest, vilest, most hateful of things you might ever read. People who participate in what's called internet trolling which is a a type of bullying online where people will write some of the most inflammatory and outrageous things to get attention for themselves or to try to divert attention from whatever the initial post was all about. Sally said that she expected that some of her political posts over time would would generate a, a wide range of reactions from people, but she started to get startled by the fact that even the most innocuous of posts 
with like a, a picture of her, her dog in a park would get a rise out of people and cause them to post all kinds of horrendous things. Even some executives from Twitter told her that she had what they described some of the worst trolls on the platform. So she decided to, to reach out to her trolls, including those who posted some of the most vicious of things to her online for her research in a book that she wrote, The Opposite of Hate, A Field Guide to Repairing Our Humanity. So she would message them, speak with them on the phone, ask them about the messages that they sent her, but she would also ask them about their lives, their hobbies, their viewpoints, why they were even on social media in the first place. And she explained that not only did she want to understand why they did what they did online, but also who they were offline in real life. And those conversations, she said, revealed three things to her that she found most surprising. The first, that people feel less inhibited online. That for some, they almost feel that posting these things are only happening in their imaginations, like they're venting in a, in a journal. Second, that they didn't think that what they wrote, their posts, their tweets, their comments, mattered because they didn't think that their voice mattered. Or even sadder, that they even mattered. She said that one of her trolls wrote back to Sally's first contact saying, my apologies to you or whoever handles your Twitter, since I know I tweeted some really crappy things in your direction. Or another one who wrote, well, honestly, I kind of figured no one reads or cares, which kind of reveals a defeatism that said that they felt invisible and voiceless. And the final observation that Sally made was quite simply that everyone is suffering. That doesn't sound like an earth-shattering conclusion, which she agrees. As she explained, I already knew this, of course. And I also know that there is much greater suffering in the universe than being a, a TV pundit visible enough to get hate mail. Still, it's one thing to know that on the theoretical level and something else to experience it directly. Here, I was calling my trolls to confront them about some minor irritation that they had caused me and found that some of them were barely scraping by on social security or in jobs that they felt were pointless. So often, when we're challenged with Jesus' command, which he expands upon in great lengths in today's gospel, to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to bless those who curse you, those kind of words, they kind of stay like on the theoretical realm in a lot of our heads. It's like an expectation that we will, will follow his example of tremendous love and mercy. For many of us, it just stays on that list of things that we know that we ought to do, but we kind of struggle to even imagine is possible. Maybe we even add it to the, the list of things that we bring to confession to ask Jesus to forgive us for, our, our inability to even do those things, or even worse, our inability to even try. And that might be an Italian thing. We figure he's got to forgive us. That's his whole thing. And Jesus does forgive us because he knows how 
incredibly hard and challenging this command is. Because Jesus isn't just some self-help guru telling others what to do. This is a lesson that he taught in word and in deed throughout his entire life. Throughout the Gospels, no matter how often different groups of people tried to undermine him or trap him or manipulate him, he kept going back to them to offer his teaching and his example and his healing all the way to his last moments when his love was rejected by those who hated him in his passion and in his death. It's something that we recall every time we stand in front of a crucifix. We see that enfleshment of love, pure and innocent, cruelly rejected and tortured and killed in a horrific and gruesome scene. But even then, up to his final breath, he offers words of forgiveness to those who are doing that to him. And the first words he offers when God raises him from the dead on Easter are words of forgiveness, of love and peace. He did that and calls us to do that because he knew the transformative power that this radical love can be, the new life that can come from that. For example, this woman by the name of Megan Phelps Roper, she's the granddaughter of the founder of the Westboro Baptist Church which you might remember is that church that's known for being anything but Christian in a lot of their messages and actions. They're the ones that their members go protest a soldier's funeral or the funerals of those who died in the mass shooting, utilizing the fact that there is going to be a high-profile funeral and a lot of media attention. So they stand outside there with all these kinds of messages of hate towards all kinds of different groups of people. It's like online trolling, but in real life. Well, for Megan, though, she was asked to be a professional online troll and to specifically go after Jewish leaders with smears and threats. Well, one of them, David Abital, responded back not with hate, but with humor, and then eventually with kindness. And over time, they actually built a friendship and a compassionate relationship, which eventually caused Megan to leave Westboro Church and to renounce her life of explicit hate. It would have been very easy for David to block or to mute or to ignore Megan. It would have even been understandable for David to have responded in kind. Many of us do as to members of Westboro or to other people that we struggle to love, or even worse, that we hate as well. But in making that decision not to give in to that temptation, and instead to make an active choice to treat this person with love and invest time and energy to demonstrate that love, not only did David protect his heart from becoming embittered, he was also able to help soften and eventually help change Megan's heart. And that's why Jesus is so emphatic about this teaching for each one of us, that we have to be vigilant in resisting the temptation, as hard as it is, to return hate with hate. 
And that could be online, that could be in the car, that could be in our workplace or our classroom, that could be in our homes, that could be in our hearts. Because whenever we give in to that temptation, whether it's a public post or just something that we hold in that deep recess of our heart, it's not something that is a private thing that has no consequence. But it's a self-inflicted wound on our heart and soul. Because we allow another person's evil act to make us forget who we are. That we are God's beloved sons and daughters. That Jesus went to hell and back, literally, for you and me. We are known. We are noticed. We are loved. Jesus sees all the hurts that we experience and the fears and the struggles that we have. Sometimes because of the evil done by others. But when we pause and we stop from returning evil for evil, when we we try to stop nursing that hurt and instead turn it over to him, that's how we remember who we are and whose we are. That's how we remember that we do matter. And remembering that gives us the capacity to expand our hearts, to even venture to say that this person is worth caring and worth loving because Jesus has looked at both of us with that same vision. From the cross, he looked at me and you and said, I'm worth his love and his care. That Jesus' love and his mercy then moves from being a, a theoretical thing to something that truly penetrates us. And it doesn't simply make us a a good Christian who can check off another box on, on that list of expectations of being his disciple. But then we start to see and experience ourselves how transformative this radical love really is. For Sally Cohn, she said that's exactly what happened when she took her online pests and befriended them. She said, we all suffer and we all dream. And we're all vulnerable, and we're all afraid, and we all just want to be seen and heard. And understanding that changed me, and it changed my trolls too, I think. Many of them wrote her afterwards and said how much they enjoyed talking to her. Some even sent her cards wishing her a happy new year, or wrote her a note asking how her book was coming along. But every one of them, stopped with their hateful posts and their comments. And that experience left Sally to conclude, saying, I needed to think twice before labeling our social media neighbors as trolls. Trolls are are creatures who live under a bridge and throw rocks, not actual people with fears and pains. Jesus would take it a step further and deeper than that. This is more than just making a nicer, less hateful, more peaceful world. It's about truly believing what we say that we believe. That Jesus has made us God the Father's beloved sons and daughters. And living that belief will make a better world, both online and in reality.
I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven.